Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 212 of Fun With Cars Formula One. Wait, what am I saying? It's the Fun With Cars podcast covering Formula One for the Malaysian Grand Prix, and it's a little bit late. I'm Robin Warner, and I am not alone. This is becoming a wonderful record. Uh, Chris Roche is here with me once again, and Harrison is also with me sitting on my lap. So you're going to hear from both one's English accent is a little bit stronger than the others. Um, but Chris, how are you? Oh, I'm very well. So hello from me and goodbye from Malaysia, I think is the way we should start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely so. And uh, we are not, well, yet again, we are not going to go, we're not going to go chronologically here. So I want you to just be ready for it okay. and understand that I want to hear your opinion on the post-race accident that happened between Lance Stroll and our beloved villain, Sebastian Vettel. Um, yeah, so Vettel seemed to take the racing line, even though there was a Williams to his left. He, he seems to be having trouble with his peripheral vision, doesn't he? I don't know why you would uh, go anywhere near Lance, to be honest, on your, on your <laughs> slowdown lap. You'd probably just... Um, Mind your own business and stay away from other cars, wouldn't you? And he may end up paying quite a heavy penalty for that if they have to change the gearbox. So, yeah, really strange. I mean, amazing amount of damage done to the Ferrari, actually, because it was obviously relatively low speed. And the Ferrari seemed, uh, the Williams rather, seemed to um, carry on regardless. So very, very peculiar accident all round. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll pin that one on Bettel. Why not? Well, first of all, let's just remind everyone that the the Williams is mostly made of lead shot, and uh, that is one of the reasons why it might not be performing quite as well. But it is a durable material. Uh, yeah, I, you know, it's just Vettel. It the race is over, and let's just real quickly say Vettel performed remarkably. He he went from dead last to fourth. He was aggressive yet clean, made smart passes, and uh, did a phenomenal job to uh, mitigate the trouble he put himself in with the uh, engine trouble. Yeah, I completely but, agree. Great race. Yeah. But then the the race is over, and uh, everyone's just putzing around, trawling back to the pits, and he, he just decides to accelerate because he wants to get past as you said, get past Lance Stroll and Lance Stroll, what didn't really see him wasn't really paying attention. Why would you, I add, and, uh, you know, thought, well, I can take whatever line I want if I want to pick up a little bit of rubber on my tires or whatever. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Harrison, that's what we're saying. And, uh, Oh, and I just, I was floored. Exactly. Harrison, you said it again and you're absolutely right. There we go. <laughs> so what Harrison's trying to say is I think, you know, the, the, the steward said, okay, a racing incident, no penalties given, but it would have been easier for Vettel to avoid this than it would have Lance Stroll. That's, that's my contention. Well, and he, he isn't out of the woods yet, right? So he took, um, he took his steering wheel with him. He seemed to be in two minds about that because he he walked away with the wheel, then looked like he was going to put it back in the car. Then he just took it with him. 
and um, and then he hopped on the side pod of one of the Saubers. So both of those are penalisable offences. You're supposed to leave the wheel with the car, and you're not supposed to ride uh, shotgun on uh, an F1 car. So he may yet face a penalty for either of those moves. I hope he doesn't, because that would be very petty, but it has been applied to drivers in, in the past. Uh, I think Mark Webber was the last driver to get hit with a penalty for doing that type of thing. So, I mean, if he... To me, it feels like he's angered the racing gods in some way. And, and conversely, they seem very happy with Lewis at the moment. I mean, because nothing's going right for him. I mean, after such an amazing season up to the summer break, where really, you know, the reliability of the Ferrari was outstanding. He was um, doing a great job of getting good finishes, come what may, whether the car was competitive or just slightly slower than the Merc. He was doing a really, really great job with, you know, the possible exception of Silverstone where he had the puncture. But other than that, you could basically argue that he was maximising the performance of the car every weekend. He was, he was getting you know as many points as he could possibly extract from it and was well in contention for the championship as a result. But since the summer break, I mean, the wheels have literally fallen off, haven't they? I mean, he's um, really struggled in the last two Grand Prix. Uh, I mean, this one, no, through no fault of his own, he was very quick in, in practice. Uh, engine didn't work very well in, in uh, free practice three or qualifying, resulting in his in starting at the back of the grid. But uh, that was not, not his fault, and he recovered well, as you mentioned. But obviously, he caused the crash in Singapore um, and um, and then did, you know struggled in Monza. I mean, really, Belgium was his only decent race since the summer break. And, it's, and now he's, he's got a mountain to climb. Five races to go, 34 points behind in the championship. Quick car, but suddenly an unreliable car. And that's, um, he's got through the engines recently, so he's right on the cusp of having engine penalties with too many more changes. So, I mean, a really difficult place to be in. And uh, whereas Hamilton, you know, everything seems to be going okay for him, um, even though the car really didn't suit the last two tracks. You know, he's, he's picked up a first and a second place, which when you're struggling with the car, is an amazing result. So he's not going to be unhappy at all. Um, and I'm sure the Mercedes won't lack pace for the rest of the season. So, yeah, I mean, Vettel's got to find a way to just start having clean weekends again, I think. So I'm, I'm really glad that you ended where you ended because that segues so beautifully into some Facebook comments we got about our last podcast. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> All right. Yeah, go on. Uh, both of these are from, uh, we'll go ahead and say Bernard A. I'm going to attempt this once, Bernard, but know that this only comes from respect. It's Bernard Akinyamoju. And uh, he says, enjoyed listening to this podcast, referring to Singapore. Quite refreshing to have someone not hiding their Lewis bias. <laughs> Mr. Roche is my kingsman or kinsman, excuse me. So, and uh, Bernard also, he said a lovely thing about uh, Harrison getting better, and Harrison has. So, um, thank you, Bernard, for both of those comments. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I'm, you know, the the Lewis Love comment was perfect. I had to share, and now we're we're turning it into a thing. And uh, my, uh, my F1 photographer friend uh, and uh, sometimes co-host of the show, Jamie Price, his uh has rolled his eyes once or twice as well chris because <laughs> he's, he's uh you know he's uh, uh i think it's fair to say he's non-biased he he has drivers he likes he actually knows nico hulkenberg personally likes him a lot but um 
he he is less uh, less of a Hamilton fan than you are. We can we can leave it at that. Look, I mean, other than the great pole position, I really don't have an awful lot to say about Lewis this podcast. Other than you know, uh, fairly pragmatic approach, right? He he could have fought with Max, decided. Um, to just go for the points, which is a pretty sensible move if you're fighting for the championship. So, I mean, but other than that, it was a pretty quiet weekend, wasn't it? I mean, they struggled with the car. Botas was way off the pace, suddenly seems really lost, uh, way off quality pace. And, um, I mean, his, his race performance was dire. I mean, to be beaten by Vettel, um, you start from the back of the grid, it's pretty embarrassing. So, um, some worrying days for Mercedes, for sure, particularly Botas. I mean, he's got his... Um, contract renewal for next season but um i think he'll be slightly alarmed you know he's been very competitive most of the year he hasn't really been uh you know too badly beaten by hamilton even though hamilton's got far more poles than he has but he's still been very competitive in his first season in the mercedes and been very impressive but all of a sudden he's starting to lose it and being out qualified by you know six more than six tenths two weekends in a row uh isn't great so let's hope he uh, he finds some form but that's all I have to say so, about Mercedes for this for this podcast, so we can move on. Oh, uh, something tells me I'll be able to eke a little bit more <laughs> out of you. But, <laughs> but uh, I, I, we'll get into qualifying in just a moment here. But to that end, I do want to make the point now that uh, Valtteri Bottas uh, and Lewis Hamilton uh, both struggled uh, Friday practice. Uh, they had a new setup on the car, uh, new aerodynamic bits they were trying. Um, Lewis... Quickly, you know, or after Friday at least, made the decision to revert back to their old setup and noticed an instant improvement in that. And Valtteri uh, Botas wanted to stick it out with the new equipment. And uh, he admitted himself that clearly, in retrospect, he should have switched back as Lewis did. So uh, there was there were some bits on the car that didn't pan out. Uh, Botas tried to see it through, and that proved to be a mistake. And... Uh, his pace was much closer to Lewis's on Friday when they were both running the same stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was an interesting race and uh, an interesting qualifying. The fact that Hamilton got pole was a bit of a shocker, but it did really shed some light on the difference between one-lap pace and race pace because, uh, you know, the Ferraris had the trouble they had, but... The, um, you know, the Red Bulls were not a threat at all when it came to uh, pole position qualifying. But then their race pace from Verstappen, of course, but also from Ricardo was quite impressive. And, um, you know, I was usually, at least in my, in my uh, view of things, usually the race pace to qualifying pace difference in performance isn't that stark. But for some reason, Malaysia really brought out, um, really brought out a big difference in one lap versus several lap pace. Well, is that because it's the first time we've seen Red Bull dominate a race? Um, I mean, there. I think there's no, normally a bigger differential with the with the Renault powered cars between their ultimate quality pace and the race pace, right? So they don't have. Uh, what I mean by that is both Ferrari and Mercedes seem to have a qualification mode on their on, for their engines. So they're able to, for Q3, um, go 
have a little bit of extra horsepower and and they suddenly eke out another couple of tenths or whatever it may be. I don't think we see that with the Red Bulls, which is why they'd only qualified on the second row. But ultimately, their race pace is much more competitive. And we saw that from Max. I mean, what a fantastic race for him. I mean, he's had a, he's had a terrible season with one, one thing and another. And um, clean weekend. I mean, he wouldn't let Hamilton get away right from the beginning. Uh, kept it under a second. And then as soon as he had an opportunity, he was decisive and clean overtaking maneuver and to just disappear didn't he i mean um really flawless performance and a, and a great win yeah i agree and you know he turned 20 when he qualified ancient over the um, hill when he qualified third what's that <laughs> ancient should be up for retirement 20 years old yeah oh yeah <laughs> no he's uh i i think this is his swung song season he's ready to <laughs> right, he's ready up. to hang up the helmet so uh, it's nice for him to get the win in this final season, but uh, yeah, no, he's 20 years old and he and he raced, he raced really well. He qualified really well, and uh, to me, this brings up kind of what I was getting at uh, last podcast when I spoke about his uh, being the hottest commodity that's going to be available in the next you know year or two, and you you quite fancying Ricardo, but this. To me, seeing, uh, Malaysia really brought out what I was referring to, which is, you know, when he's on, he's he's got that natural talent that's hard to match. And uh, I really do think that Verstappen is going to be, actually could be one of the reasons that Botas is nervous about his performance, you know, because Mercedes might be one of the teams looking really hard at Verstappen for 2019. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a little harsh on Ricardo. He didn't have a bad weekend, did he? And I thought he was going to be um, in a good position to to have a crack at second place. Um, bef- you know, around the just before the pit stops, he was only four seconds behind Lewis and seemed to be closing. Uh, but then he, I think it was debris got trapped under the car, wasn't it? I mean, his pace dropped dramatically just after the, the pit stops. And he fell into the... Yeah, there was something wonky about the floor. Yeah, for either sure. the floor got damaged or, or he picked up something, ran over something and got trapped underneath the, the floor. But uh, um, he lost a lot of time. It was like almost 10, 10 plus seconds at one stage. And that sort of put second beyond him. And then he was fighting a rear guard action from Vettel, which, you know, he did a fantastic job, didn't he? He wasn't going to mess around there. He was going to defend the position no. stoutly. And then Vettel's... Vettel's tyres um, wore out anyway, so so uh, that was the end of that. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was he was definitely going to defend his position. But I mean, it was a great drive from both the Red Bull drivers, and and you're right. I mean, Verstappen was the better of the two this weekend, and uh, as I said, he deserved the win, and Ricardo deserved the podium. So you don't think this is any kind of uh, example of the relative pace of the two you think that uh, Ricardo was just a little bit off this weekend I'm certainly not saying that Ricardo's pace was slow or that he performed poorly I'm just saying that this really showed Verstappen's true potential this weekend and I think what we saw this weekend is what other top teams see in Verstappen whether whether or not Ricardo was actually the guy that gets it done way more often yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's always dangerous to just pick one race. And um, and I know Verstappen has performed well in many other races as well. But I think, um, you know, if you look at it over the balance of 
what is it, almost season and a half that they've been together, it, it very infrequently has one driver completely dominated the other, that they seem relatively evenly matched and uh, in outright pace and in, and in overall race performance. And I don't think, um, you know, I mean, I think what's really caught most people's eyes has been Verstappen's wet weather performance, particularly in Brazil last, last year. That was really, for me, when he, when he was the most outstanding. And obviously, you know, his, um, his opening performance in Spain, uh, which was very mature for such a young driver in his first opportunity in a competitive car. But ultimately, if you take those two races out of the equation... Um, I think they've been been very even, and I think you still have to go back to Ricardo's standout performance against Vettel when they were together at Red Bull. I mean, you don't put away a four-time world champion um, as easily as he did without uh, having significant amount of, of talent. So I think that they're both you know stars of the future. Yeah, no, I I I, I don't disagree. I, I I do agree, and I think that uh, Ricardo really stood out two years in a row, actually, uh, at Monaco. He's quite good around the Principality. And, uh, you know, really, obviously, his poor pit stop from last year robbed him of a victory, uh, many people could say. And to this day, it upsets Harrison to even think about it. Um, <laughs> Do you want to take a break and, uh, and make him a little bit more <laughs> No, 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 we're good. we got to keep going. So um, let's talk about McLaren. You know, this is a Honda engine. This is a track with two long straightaways. And, you know, Van Dorn finished seventh. And at one time, Alonso was as high as fifth, I believe. I, To me, this is more evidence that Honda's closer than McLaren wants to give. And um, one of the reasons why they performed better is because McLaren had a performance update that... Uh, in a chassis improvement, and I think that goes to show that maybe, in fact, they don't have the quickest chassis. And uh, Harrison, Harrison's upset that I didn't give Alonzo more credit. Sorry, Harrison. No, I think uh, I think Harrison's trying to say that really you're you're doing Van Dorn an injustice. I think Van Dorn outqualified Alonzo handily and um, outfinished him as well. So great weekend from Van Dorn and. Um, Clearly, Alonso's past his prime and should retire. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't really mean. I don't really mean that. But it was good to see uh, Van Dorn um, really, you know, get the better of um, his illustrious teammate for once. Uh, I think. I don't know what the qualifying um, bat, uh, score is between the two of them, and it's muddied by all the engine penalties they get, right? But I think Alonso has uh, more often than not outqualified Van Dorn, so. A really good, strong performance by him. And you're right. I mean, it was uh, an unusual track uh, for Honda to do so well in. I don't think they've made any significant improvements in the in the uh, engine, honestly. But uh, we shall see. I mean, maybe maybe you're right. But um, I think you know, by and large, it's more um, it's more you know the luck, <laughs> the luck that they that didn't start at the back <laughs> of its twenty engine places. When they're actually qualify, you know, start well, the race yes, where they qualify, right. it makes a big difference, doesn't it? I would say so. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But uh, yeah, it, you know, Honda didn't have any significant upgrades that was at least reported on that I saw. But uh, McLaren did have a proper chassis upgrade, and I, that's my point is that I think maybe the chassis isn't as good as McLaren would like to think it is. 
Um, and to the end, to your point exactly, uh, Van Dorn is now 14th in the Drivers' Championship compared to Alonzo's 16th. Van Dorn has 13 points to Alonzo's 10. Wow. So Van Dorn is, in fact, the lead driver uh, via championship points for the McLaren team. Well, I'm very surprised about that. I would have thought um, Alonzo had been well in the distance. I, I guess I haven't been paying enough to, uh, attention to that particular championship point competition. But, um, yeah, I mean, clearly Van Dorn has a lot of promise uh, and has been reasonably competitive in his first full season in F1. So, um I mean, yeah, McLaren look like they've got a couple of good drivers there. And I think we'll, you know, th- there's no doubt that the the whole, you know, murkiness around, is it really the chassis of the engine, will be will be uh, well and truly uh, understood next season when they're up against Red Bull. You know, so we, Red Bull have been the dominant aerodynamic uh, advantage team over the last, what, seven, eight years now. So if McLaren can actually be at a similar pace to Red Bull with the same engine next season, then um, then th- that'll give us the answer, I think, which who's really been holding back the relationship these past three seasons. What did you think of Toro Rosso's decision to axe Daniel Kvyat and bring in the young uh, Mr. Gasly as his replacement. It's slightly unfortunate name, that, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, the French <laughs> true, true. The French uh, are, are starting to make a serious comeback to Formula 1. We're now up to three drivers from, from France these days uh, with Ocon. Yeah, and sure, because we've got uh, Grosjean, Ocon, and now Gasly. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I, I thought Kafiat was on borrowed time for a long, long time, right? Since he got axed from Red Bull... Uh, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I kind of exactly. wondered why he was still in an STR. And, and Red Bull have not been slow in the past to get rid of drivers that they thought you know, weren't really at the cutting edge. So, um, yeah, I, I, that's kind of long overdue. Gasly seemed to do all right for his first weekend in F1. Um, I, I don't think anyone missed um, the Russian too much, frankly. Um, <laughs> no, I wouldn't say so. And it looks like... Um, Gasly is is penciled in already for next season, and that the other driver might be one nominated by Honda. So, um, so th- yeah, I think poor Danny Kafiat's career is over in Formula One, at least. Right, and you know it's interesting to see. You know, Gasly was fairly, you know, highly regarded, um, but we didn't get to see him race against his teammate Carlos Sainz because Sainz ended up not finishing. Um, but you know, I. I think he performed admirably, and uh, I'll give him the credit. I'm definitely going to keep an eye on him as the races continue. Um, but if you don't mind, I want to jump ahead now to uh, Force India hmm. and Sergio Perez with a sixth place finish uh, compared to Sebastian Ocon's, um, excuse me, Esteban Ocon's tenth. Uh, you know, a strong event, a strong race for him. And yet, right in the opening, there was a little bit more. Uh, you know, I don't know, tension between the two drivers? Well, I missed that. I mean, I must admit, I, it was more, I, I know that um, Perez had been ill, right, prior to the race and was actually doing pretty well. That's right. Yeah, he had that stomach bug. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. So he was doing pretty well just to race in, in that I might be. I might then, be thinking about, I might be thinking about Singapore where they, they got a bit, on each, under each other's skin again. Well, there was quite a lot of action at the first turn, wasn't there? And there was a couple of, uh, uh, I think Massa hit somebody pretty hard. I don't remember who it was. 
Um, but there, there was certainly quite a lot of, um, you know, wheel rubbing through through the first sequence of that, that first right, tight right, and then the left-hander. But I don't remember Perez being caught up in it. And he, he seemed to have a very clean race, frankly, and, and did a, you know, a decent job. Because there was... It wasn't like there weren't competitive cars in the midfield still in the race. I mean, you had the Williams um, drivers both in the mix, and um, you had, um, you know, I think Haas was up there, and and um, so too were the STRs, and yet, you know, he he uh, brought it home. The Renaults were strangely uncompetitive this weekend, and Palmer was was pretty comical. If he's trying to get a drive for next season. I don't really think uh, that was the way to do it. I mean, he, he looked very amateurish out there at times um, with the spin um, at turn one while trying to defend his position. Uh, just Yes, it, and then another spin. It was, it was pretty bad. Yeah, and it, it was funny because they, they, um, they switched over to, to his dad, Dr. Jonathan Palmer, who had a, had a brief career in Formula One, but nobody remembers it because it really wasn't that good, uh, sort of rolling his eyes. And, and I, I kind of sort of felt the same way. It looks like uh, Palmer's off to IndyCar potentially for next season, which he might be better suited uh, to IndyCar than Formula One, I think. Well, you know, it, it, that's uh, something that uh, I... It's going to be a separate podcast, but I really want to talk to you about because, you know... At Auto Week, I've actually covered some IndyCar stuff. Uh, most notably, the um, they're going for a common uh, 2018 aerodynamics package. There'll still be a different package for uh, super speedways, the big ovals versus short ovals and road courses. But um, you know, it's a much better looking car, and it's less downforce, and it's a little bit better balance. So, uh, I think the IndyCar package has the potential to be really good next year and could be exciting racing to watch so and uh you know chris chilton i'm sorry max chilton is a good example of um right being able to go from formula one to ow <laughs> harrison has teeth harrison has teeth and he wanted me to know about it um yes exactly harrison you have teeth that's what i said so anyway um uh, you know, Max Chilton proved that uh, you can, in fact, have some success in IndyCar um, after 41. So I wouldn't say that's all bad. Yeah, Julian, he got, let's be honest, he got lucky to be able to finish out the season with, in Formula One. Everyone thought his days were numbered, that Carlos Sainz was going to hop in the Renault, um, you know, in Malaysia or maybe uh, in Japan um, and, you know, get a jump start for 2018. But then. You know, when they axed Kafiat, that kind of um, that kind of ended that. So, well, that's a pretty shrewd. You know, Palmer was given a gift. Yeah, but that's a pretty shrewd move by STR, isn't it? Because they've got a pretty good known quantity in Carlos. So, rather than allow him to move to Renault early, which really doesn't isn't in their best interest, it just detracts from their own attempts to finish off the season strongly. Uh, they that's they right. can now put. Uh, a lesser known quantity against him to see where their relative pace is. Uh, whereas Kafir is so up and down and inconsistent that he's not really a good benchmark. So I, I think that's absolutely the right thing to do. Um, and I don't know, does Kafir bring a lot of money or is he just a standard Red Bull um, driver that's been under contract for an eternity and, and was brought through the ranks and so therefore they felt some loyalty to him? Because as I said, I was surprised he came back for 17 in the STR. 
Um, so really, I think he's had a, he's had a pretty good innings, frankly, and uh, shouldn't be too sad uh, because he just hasn't made the most of his second chance. Right when you lose your your drive at Red Bull, um, you've really got to stand out to try and recover, and he just hasn't. No, I, that that's exactly right. I I completely agree, and uh, you know I. Just as you were saying before, once he lost the Red Bull seat, I was like, well, his days are numbered. And, you know, he had a lot more days than I would have guessed. Um, I was surprised that he was in the car for 2017, to be honest. And, uh, yeah, so the fact that he's out, no, I don't think that's going to be any long-term loss for anyone in the Formula One circus. And uh, just to circle back to what we were talking about originally, uh, Sergio Perez in the driver's standings uh, for the championship, He's in seventh place with 76 points wow. to Ocon's eighth with 57. And um, please keep your recording going. I'm going to make another bottle for Harris in just a moment. quick okay um feel free to jump in with an answer or if you want me to pick it up again. well that was like a formula one pit stop milk bottle renewal my goodness <laughs> i thought you'd be he gone for minutes like a boss oh, good effort mate um sorry what was the question i've completely forgotten well you can just you can just comment and say that i was right uh, I mean, because of course I was. Yeah, Perez. No, uh, I, I was decent season. I was talking about Perez being ahead of Perez being ahead of Ocon in the championship by 19 points. Hmm. No, Harrison. No, Harrison. You do want it. Come on. I think he's just exhausted. All right, I got him now. We're good. It is um, Ocon's rookie season. Don't forget. So. I think you um, you have to remember that this guy's pretty much learning every single track uh, and how to drive it in an F1 car. Um, obviously, in the lower formula, you do drive these circuits, but um, it's just a completely different ball game. The performance of the F1 cars to anything else, isn't it? So you have to give a rookie. Uh, obviously, not Lewis <laughs> in his rookie season. He was the exception, right? <laughs> just for all those Lewis fans, but. But for most normal drivers, yeah, they, they need a little bit of uh, dispensation for the fact that it's their first full season. So I think he's yeah he's had a he's had a tremendous year against Perez. Um, other than you know some of the silliness that we've seen in places like Spa, where he should have just uh, backed out and, and given Perez more more racing room or, or vice versa. Uh, other than that maturity, I think he's you know they they've made um, you know a lot of good races and scored a lot of points so fair play I mean they're, they're definitely they've tied up fourth place um, the only question is can they keep this going I mean can they go, go one better again next year and get third I mean that seems like a bit of a mountain to climb doesn't it but but who would have thought we'd see this little little team from Silverstone uh, up to fourth I wouldn't have bet on that to be honest well this was this was once the uh, Jordan team if I'm not mis- mistaken that's so, right yeah uh, yeah, so, uh, no, no, absolutely, that's fair that he's an Ocon. Ocon is a rookie and he is young. 
Um, but because those two have had such heated battles so often, I felt like it was important to say that uh, Perez was, in fact, on top. Um, so let's talk about the driver market for next season then, because, um, I mean, other than the sad fate that befell Kimi, I think that's pretty much the race done with, isn't it? I mean, unless there's anything else that stood out for you. Um, well, not just I think that it's just, just yet another example of how so very young Kimi Raikkonen is and how so far away he is from retirement. <laughs> and uh, I think he's got many fruitful years left in him. And, I mean... All joking aside, he was he was very quick. He should have had pole, and, shouldn't uh, he? Other than I, I think it's very likely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he made a slight mistake on the last turn. Otherwise, he'd uh, he'd done enough to get pole position, really. So, yeah, he just he just he just went a little wide and ended up being four hundredths off. And um, I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to talk about pole. I I think he, I think he very actually very likely would have easily won the race, considering um, where what. Vettel's race pace was, and the fact that he started twentieth and finished fourth. If Raikkonen had started second, that would have been a. I think that would have been pretty easy pickings. I'm not sure. I agree with you there. I think he would have had a good. Um, I th- you think he, he certainly would have beaten Hamilton, uh, no doubt. Whether he would have beaten Max, I'm not so sure. But uh, because you know the, the Red Bull pace was pretty impressive, and I think I don't think Max was full on. The whole race was he. I mean, once he got into the lead, I think he was managing the pace. But yeah, I think he would have been very competitive. It'd have been a lot more competitive than it was between Max and, and Lewis, that's for sure. So um, he would have been in in with the fight. Uh, but yeah, very unfortunate. I mean, to, fair play. I mean, sorry, go ahead, finish. But your point. to have to be, you know, I mean, still your front row of the grid, looking looking for, you know, see if he can make it through turn one <laughs> this time around, and uh, to be wheeled off. I mean, that's that's. Uh, you don't like to see that happen to anyone, do you? I mean, that's really disappointing. And just goes back to yeah. what, you know, what has happened to Ferrari's reliability. I mean, it's just fallen off a cliff. So they've got to get they've got to get that sorted out. Yeah, no, I I agree completely. And um, actually, there is uh, there is a couple of quick points I want to make. Um, you know, I think had Raikkonen had he uh, you know had he started second with full power. And stayed in front of uh, stayed in front of Verstappen at the at the launch at the beginning of the race. I think Verstappen would have had a much harder time getting around Raikkonen than he did Hamilton, and that would have made it uh, an easier uh, chance for Raikkonen to get the race win. Um, but you're 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 absolutely right to say that Verstappen could have had it on race pace, regardless. But uh, the second point I want to make was. We've brought this up a couple of times, and this is a little bit of um, uh, superstition, but... Oh, uh, Harrison thinks the microphone should be a little closer to me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But uh, I go back to the the whole... um, I, I think it was Hungary, which was right before the summer break, and we were talking about the difference in character between Vettel and Hamilton, where Vettel absolutely refused despite being slower to Raikkonen refused to give up pace and they risked they risked a Ferrari win in that at that point whereas Hamilton took the lead from Botas but indeed gave it back at great risk to him and gave up three championship points in doing so to me that was a turning point for me in the attitude of the 
my attitude towards the two drivers. And uh, and I the rest of the season's kind of proving out in a superstitious kind of way that, you know, the the racing gods favor the character that uh, Lewis showed. And uh, one final now. thing. Here's the real Lewis one, fan, I think. I, I know. Think you're and slowly coming out of the closet there, Robin. But welcome, <laughs> welcome to the lights. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. Now that now that the true champion and the reigning champion is out of the oh, running, God. I can I can be a little bit more okay with Lewis. <laughs> and it's it's ironic because I do I have a new name for you. Oh. Um, I'm going to start depending on your responses. I'm going to start calling you Mr. LL. Um, for uh, Mr. Lewis Love, because I've heard it a few times already, and I just gave you a dose myself. I'll admit that, but yeah, I, yes, okay. I mean, I, I won't shy away from the fact that I am a Lewis fan, but I am a fan of Formula One and many of the other great drivers too. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll talk more about some of the past heroes of mine in, in Formula One, um, but. Yeah, the, well, what about the that the day, driver's 60, market? 60 poles now. Um, 70. Sorry, 70. Yeah, 70 poles. How many wins has he got now? It's getting close to 60, isn't it? That's what I'm getting confused about. So, yeah, 70 poles. I mean, the, the guy, you know, is a legend. And so there we go. Um, open seats. What have we got left? We've got a Williams seat, I think. Yeah, and that seems to be the hottest ticket. The, the one that strikes me the most is that... Uh, I know, Harrison, we're getting to that. Uh, Harrison's is <laughs> upset that I haven't mentioned uh, Robert Kubica yet. Mm. Well, that didn't seem yeah, to come. Yeah, talking about it now. And uh, Robert Kubica, you know, is being talked about as maybe taking that second Williams seat because the Renault thing didn't pan out. And I'm curious to see how serious that is because he's, a, he's definitely a big name and now he's got a, a great story to tell. And uh, I think I think it would be wonderful to have him in the car. Well, I mean, compared to DiResta and Massa, of the three drivers, the most interesting one and the one you'd really root for the most is Kubica, right? I mean, and potentially the one who who could do the most in a Williams if he's really fit enough to drive it to his full potential. I mean, that's the real thing. I mean, it's natural talent. I don't think anyone would argue that Kubica is the strongest. But is his arm truly healed and recovered enough for him to, to actually do that in all the circumstances? You know, at Singapore in two hours, you know, at Malaysia in humid 90-plus degree heat, all that normal fatigue plus, a, a, you know, an already weakened arm, those, those are the type of unfortunate but real questions that have to be asked. And uh, I think... I. My hope and guess is that that's what's 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 being done. It's a real, honest assessment of is Kubica really and truly up to it. Other, I I can't imagine Masi getting the seat over Kubica on um, you know pure talent. And I mean, and sure enough, you know Masa was going to retire last year, and now he wants to get in the car for next year. I'm I'm frankly a little confused. Well, he was basically forced into retirement, wasn't he? Because Williams. Uh weren't really inviting him back. And then, obviously, Williams lost Botas, and so um, they were, looked like they were going to run with a rookie rookie driver, uh, and they didn't really have a lot of options. I mean, I think 
Uh, well, and their martini sponsorship requires that at least one that one of their drivers is at least twenty five years old and drinks like a fish. That's right. So Kubitz probably fits the bill. That's right. <laughs> so um, I, I so the reason why Renault didn't take him, I think, has become clearer now, isn't it? Because they they managed to secure one of the one of the probably best talents on the grid that hasn't had a chance to have a top drive yet. So Carlos is a, is a, is a is a safe bet, right? He's proven to be quick, um, and I, you know, I yes. think given given that choice, Saints is the obvious one. However, if you look at the remaining drivers available on the market for Williams, Kubica seems like like you know again the obvious choice because nobody else has got as much potential as he has. And I would suggest rolling the dice because you know what you're going to get with Massa, and he's actually done a pretty good season. You'll see some of these drivers that come back. And they, they can be epically slow and, and they just you know, get in the way. But Mass has done some pretty decent races and he's scored some good points for Williams. So I think that was the right decision for this year. But to, to keep moving forward with him just seems like the wrong... It's, it's like a cul-de-sac, isn't it? De Resta, we saw him before. He didn't set the world on fire. He did a reasonably decent drive when he, when he stood in. But that's not enough to get you a, a, you know, a competitive seat um, in the fifth best constructor on the on the grid, so no, I think it's definitely a good good move to play a wild card. Give Kubica a shot. Maybe you have still Deresta as your backup, and so if Kubica proves to be not fit enough after the first you know few Grand Prix, then you swap him out. But uh, I'd definitely give him a shot if it was me. So I I agree with you on the Kubica bit, but I'm a little bit you know I'm a little bit warmer to the idea of Deresta getting back in the car. Uh, I think you know he he had he had a couple seasons in Formula One. He was not quite up to it then, but I think he's matured a bit since then. And you know, considering I I give a lot of credit to the fact that he'd been out of a Formula One car for years. He hadn't driven the newest iteration. You know, I think it was two iterations ago that he was last racing. Uh, you know, in terms of major rule changes and. You know, given all those, and you know, those are major, major hurdles. His most recent experience, his current racing, was you know touring cars, German touring cars. So for him to get in and you know understand that left, which way to go left and which way to go right, I think is already a reasonable job. And uh, I don't know, I I have a hard time knocking dressed. I think with you know, a real preseason and real dedicated work, I think he could be there. I thought, <clears throat> frankly, when he when he left the first time, I thought he was pretty decent F1 driver back then, but just a little a little bit unlucky and just not quite up to it. So I agree with everything you said about the the return. He was he was far more impressive than I expected, especially as he had no preparation. Right, he was dropped in right at the last minute, so it wasn't like he'd been spending a right. couple of weeks in the simulator. But the thing about Duresta, when he was with Force India, he was a very solid driver. There's no doubt about that. He didn't disgrace himself. He was normally there or thereabouts. But I never had the impression of electric pace. You know, that really, that last, you know, 1%. Uh, and, uh, you know, for me, that's really, if you're going to get another shot in this sport, you should have demonstrated on occasion that you are really, really talented. And he's never quite struck me 
that way. I think he's good, solid driver. He's, you know, he's, I put him in the same bracket as a, you know, as a Perez or, um, you know, someone like that. Solid gets the, gets the car to the finish when he doesn't crash into his teammate. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, he's not he's not going to be, uh, you know, your Vettel, your your Hamilton sort of pace ever. I don't think. And whereas Kubica might, he might on occasion be able to stick it on pole and shock everyone. That's why I'd be excited about him coming back. Even if he even if he started to lose ultimate pace in the last ten laps of a Grand Prix, well actually sometimes it doesn't matter. You can you can drop your pace a little bit if you've done <laughs> enough work early on, right? So Well we we agree though. We agree that if, if Kupitza is up to it I I I, I would want to see him in the car more than anyone. Um but it's just a matter of assessing if he's really up to it and how much risk do you take to understand if he's up to it or not. And, uh, you know, it, you know, you and I have subtly different opinions there, but, uh, I think we're ranking them the same it, order, it right? It, but, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Masa is third. Um, and this is a great, uh, it, you know, any, any listeners out there, if you guys have a different opinion of who should be in the Williams seat and why please do please do comment or please feel free to send an email at feedback at funwithcars.com i'd love to hear it because silly season is silly and hey let's talk about silly things um (laughs) so what other what i mean obviously the williams seat is the most coveted i guess it isn't official yet but it is very likely that alonzo will be back with mclaren um do you think there's any possibility of bombs being bombshells being dropped there um, because it isn't official yet. No, I don't think so. Where else, you know, other than retirement from Formula One, you know, or a sabbatical is really likely for him. I, I think, uh, yes, yeah, he's even said it's pretty much been agreed in principle, right? They've just got to hammer out the contractual details. I, I, I don't think there's anybody else in the frame for McLaren. I don't think he, he has any other options. So, that would only be worse than McLaren. And, you know, they've already highlighted and demonstrated that they're willing to go to extraordinary lengths to keep him happy, right? I mean, they, the the whole IndyCar, Indy 500 race instead of Monaco was a, was a case in point. They'll do whatever it takes to keep him in the car. Um, I mean, so other than, other than McLaren, I mean, so there is an STR seat potentially available, right? But it would obviously have to be either a Red Bull junior driver or someone that Honda particularly was keen on. So that really limits the options for most of the most of the other uh, drivers on the market. So, um, I mean, as has has I think have got their two drivers stitched up already, right? Um, they're, they're they're signed up for I next year. I believe so. I think Kevin did get the extension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and and what about Sauber? I think there was some question marks on Ericsson. Yeah, I think you're right because, um, well, and Verline's very much a Mercedes driver, isn't he? So now the sw- the switch back to Ferrari, Ferrari could be point. could be interesting, but. Uh, um, I, you know, it's amazing that Verline could be in danger of losing his Formula One drive uh, after coming pretty close to getting a Mercedes drive. So I can't imagine that. I'm sure they'll they'll keep him in the car. I, I, I haven't heard anyone other names in the frame for Sauber, but they kind of get lost, don't they? A little bit Sauber. I feel a little bit bad. You know, you look at yeah. the, the car and it's um, 
its primary livery is, you know, celebrating 25 years in Formula One, and it's not no way to celebrate it, is it? Clinging on at the back of the field no. where they really don't deserve to be. I mean, when I really was uh, truly falling in love with motorsport, um, so we go way back here to the uh, late 80s, early 90s. I mean, Sauber was thrashing everybody in sports cars back in the day. And uh, so, you know, the mighty Sauber Mercedes, that actually the um, people like uh, Carl Wendlinger and Michael Schumacher drove uh, back in, in 1990. I mean, they, they, you know, they were, they were extremely competitive um, constructor and, and they have, they've had some very good F1 seasons. So it's rather sad to see them quite so far behind although I was looking at their pace and they're not a million miles away from it's not like the old days with some of the uh, incoming teams that used to be perennially three four seconds off the pace these guys are within a few tenths but they still seem solidly rooted to the bottom of the of the field don't they yeah I know I mean the, the, Sauber more than most any other team has really struggled with funding uh as of late oh, yeah. and uh and you know even uh even their uh Team principles, you know, there's been some switches there. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, Sauber has a wonderful history, the sports cars, as you mentioned, and also, uh, you know, Kimi Raikkonen uh, made his debut in a Sauber, uh, and uh, that car was quite uh, quite strong. You know, he finished in the points, and that was when points were only paid to sixth position. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, and he finished in the points multiple times. That's right. And, um and then also, um, it wasn't that long ago that uh, you know the Sauber was you know making its making its mark on the podium. It was mm-hmm. you know it, it. So yeah, they're they're. I think Sauber is more than anything a very hot and cold team, and uh, and that that is the hard thing to, to not have consistent performance one way or the other is where they struggle. Well, but there's potential there. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they've. They've hit on tough times since Peter Sauber took a big step back, right? And now that the whole uh, misstep with, uh, what was her name, Manisha Kaltenborn, I think it was, who made, you know, a series of significant gaffes both on the driver. You know, what was it, signing three drivers for two seats and uh, getting into legal oh, troubles. yes, of course. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. She made a, she was the one who did the Honda deal. Um, so I think, you know, finally, you know, enough was enough and they've got some decent uh, stewardship again so hopefully they'll be on an upward trajectory but because uh, they were very consistent for a long time and it's only it's only uh, you know the last couple of years that they've really fell on hard times so um, but they're you know they are um, they do seem to be clinging on so hopefully um, they'll be back and more competitive next season with a um, maybe with a bit more money a bit more development in next year's car and a, and a decent engine so it was interesting that Ferrari yeah. were the were the occupied um, five of the lowest group positions. So you, ha- yeah, I was shocked. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the only, the sixth Ferrari was Kimi on second, but otherwise you had Vettel, the two Saubers, and the two Haas occupying sixteenth um, through twentieth positions. Wow, uh, that's a that's a good point to make. Yeah, in in a in a race where Raikkonen was just off by pole by a scope. Yeah, and it wasn't the engine. Well, other than it being yeah. unreliable, it was it was putting out plenty of power, right, when it was working. Exactly right. Yeah, when it ran. But, uh, yeah, so now we have uh, one of my all-time favorites, uh, Japan. Mm-hmm. I love Suzuka. 
I think, uh, you know, the first sector with the S's is just one of the most beautiful section of corners that exists in Formula One. And then, of course, 130R doesn't have the panache that it used to because now it's become pretty easy flat. But it's still an epic corner that it exists that you're turning the steering wheel at 180 miles an hour is, uh, to me, even even if it's not that uh, much of a struggle, it's still impressive. And uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to that race. It's always one of my favorites. And uh, do you have a favorite for the Japanese Grand Prix? Well, the one comment I was going to make um, is I agree. It's, it's always... Um it's always a fascinating race, and uh, and it is. There are some wonderful sequences of corners um, to watch the F1 cars navigate through. But it's it's a tricky track to overtake on, isn't it? And the DRS zone is not quite long enough. And we saw last year Hamilton uh, not qualify so well and struggle to really make a lot of progress through the field, even though he had you know plenty of pace because it it, it is a tricky track to to try and find a way past so you know qualifying is going to be critical this this weekend and um uh, you know and it's it's going to be interesting to see if the mercedes performance can rebound um after you know two tracks where they really haven't gone very well um but if they can and if they can qualify well then i think they'll be in an easier place to defend the position than they were at malaysia with its two epically long straights back to back um so um yeah i Ferrari really have to hope that a Vettel doesn't get gearbox penalty and that they quickly find the root cause of the issues with their engines and, and get it remedied very fast because they cannot afford another weekend like uh, like Malaysia with with that level of unreliability. So you know, and, and Red Bull, I think, are well in the hunt, right? They're trying to take advantage of of the. The cha- you know being out of the championship battle to just have a clean run to try and score a few wins. So yeah, I think it should be should be a good weekend. Yeah, uh, I agree. And um, as uh, many people probably heard very easily, uh, Harrison had a lot to say uh, for this podcast. <laughs> well, good for and him. He, he's back. He is now yeah, and he is now properly conked out on my left shoulder. So. I uh, I think that this it makes that a very appropriate time to sign off for now. Oh, well, but, hang on, uh, hang on. Before we go, I think we do have to talk about Malaysia a little bit and and whether or not anyone's going to miss it. I mean, um, I, I'm a little sad that Malaysia's been hasn't been able to find a, an extension. Honestly, I don't think it's been a bad track over the years. It's usually produced some interesting results. There's always been overtaking opportunities um, at that track. Um, but, it, you know, you always have to wonder about a track that doesn't really generate, you know, a groundswell of, of local fans. Um, so it kind of comes back to the point of taking taking Formula One to countries that have no history with the sport and, and, no, and no local um, uh, supporters, really. So it's, um, it's hard to see Malaysia coming back. I, I was reading that Turkey uh, actually is one of the more of the recent circuits that were added. Um, and then dropped is the most likely to make a comeback. Um, but um, well, Turkey had that epic turn eight, I believe it was right. four apex, you know, series of corners that well ended at turn eight. That was really brilliant to watch. Yeah. But you won't you um, won't be missing Malaysia yourself. 
Well, you know, Malaysia's Malaysia's interesting. Um, the track itself was fascinating. It was to me, it was one of the early earliest of the new era of tracks. You know, it was in fact a Herman Tilke designed track. That's right. And and you know, it debuted in 1999 and, and kind of was that was in some ways the beginning of the end of the Europe dominance of Formula One racing and. You know, that was Bernie's hope to truly make it a world championship. So it was a dawn of a new era in that sense. And now that Bernie's left, um, now maybe this is what we're seeing is the dawn of yet another new era come out. And yeah, no, Malaysia certainly was not... uh, I I have to say that it was compellingly average and... (laughs) It it was it was never there was never the most exciting race and it was never the least exciting, but I look at it in terms of you know that bigger picture new era stuff that I just mentioned and also it'll be interesting to see you know Patronus um, you know being a Malaysian company and uh, you know a big part of Formula One and I wonder if they uh, lose any interest in the sport if they don't have a home race. There's little questions like that to be answered, but. In the grand scheme of things, no, I, I don't think I'm going to miss Malaysia that much, to be honest. One thing that did make me chuckle during the course of the weekend was the support series. So I guess they were running a Southeast Asia Formula 4 championship, and they were running something like four races over the Grand Prix weekend in uh, in Malaysia. And the, the thing that really stood out for me is in race two, um, all the cars ran out of fuel, so nobody finished. <laughs> the full race distance, uh, and that's that seems somehow yeah. appropriate of you know running the lo- you know everything other than Formula One running at that track is probably not going to be uh, top draw, is it? Well, to be honest, I mean, I'd I'd be you know I think there's been talks about it uh, you know of a French Grand Prix returning. Um, that's Monaco, isn't to it? Me, that. <laughs> <laughs> But to me, to me, that's entirely appropriate. Uh, I think you know the FIA is a French entity after all, and uh, you know, so I wouldn't mind Europe getting a little bit more of a footprint in Formula One again. And uh, honestly, I'm I'm quite desperate for the United States to get a second Grand Prix. I mean, it has really improved. You know, for a while it was just Canada, but now it's Canada and the U.S. and Mexico. So the Americas are. You know, and that's in addition to North America is much better uh, represented than it once was. Um, but America still being the single biggest economy in this world, I, I do, I, I, I would love to see, you know, not only um, the Coda race continuing because there's some question there, but in fact, the second uh, Grand Prix added and, you know, Liberty Media is an American entity, so I'm, you know, I, so I would be more excited about that than I would be sad that we lost Malaysia. Yeah, but they've got to be a bit careful. I mean, I think the 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 goal is to try and bring the sport to the masses, isn't it? So you start doing street courses back where the populations are, rather than getting them to go out into into the middle of nowhere. Um, I have no problem with that philosophy. The issue is the quality of the track. And we've seen over the years some serious missteps with street courses. I mean, Phoenix 
was True. particularly oh, dire. And Dallas. Yeah. And Dallas and Las Vegas. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. know. So by all means, have another U.S. Grand Prix and by all means, make it a, make it a city, make it a street course. But you've got to design one that, that is good enough. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time because people aren't going to be interested if the racing isn't compelling and, and uh, you know, exciting to watch. And some of these, you know, 90 degree left, right through the, the concrete barricades, it doesn't really do it for me. And I don't think it does it for the average fan either. Well, this is a as good a time as any to uh, plug my uh, video that, uh, you know, the co-founder and I, Jim Lau, put together of uh, the Port Imperial Street Circuit in New Jersey that had uh, the Manhattan skyline as a background. That had, obviously, a compelling background, but in addition to that, the track itself really was properly interesting. There was well over 100 feet of elevation change. You went up a promenade and then back down it. You know, nice long straightaway, interesting corners. That, to me, would have been a fantastic street course. And it just... The funding and the interest kind of dried up, but I would love to see some resurgence there. To me, that would be a wonderful way to get a second Grand Prix and a street course, no less, onto the Formula One calendar. To me, it would it would not be Monaco in terms of uh, you know pomp and circumstance, but I think it could it could compete against Singapore in terms of general interest it's interesting to to hear your comments on the circuit layout i was always a bit suspicious when the prime motivation for the race seemed to be that it had manhattan backdrop i mean to me that's not the starting point for a great formula one track is it um i don't tend to watch the backdrop that much when i watch formula one i'll be honest with you um as amazing as manhattan well, yeah because you'd lose you'd lose your gaze of lewis hamilton's eyes if you did that, <laughs> that would be Exactly, but uh, I'll, but I'll tell you what I'm gonna. I'll, I'll put a link to the YouTube video. I'll put it to the YouTube video. Um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And uh, Chris, I'll encourage you yourself to check it out. Um, it, you know, because uh, Jim Lau and I, we we did a 10 minute lap of what would have been walking? effective. Not exactly, but what it would have been the. Port Imperial Street Circuit race, the Grand Prix of America, I believe it would have been called. So, yeah, of all the of all the U.S. second races, that's probably the, been the one that had the most traction. Um, I can't uh, I can't see too many other candidates out there, can you? Certainly not road courses that really are in are even trying well, to, to get. That's Formula just one. it. I would love to see I would love to see them go to Laguna Seca, yes, but or Road Atlanta, absolutely, but or. Uh, <laughs> None you know, of those it's gonna tracks. Be, that'd be a tough yeah. call. Yeah, I know. None of those but, tracks have uh, expressed well, anyway, any interest, have they? But that's a shame. We are but, uh, what, five days away from uh, the Japanese Grand Prix. I probably will not watch it live, but uh, I might. I, it's, it is truly one of my favorites, and I'm looking forward to it. And I also look forward to having another conversation about it with you, Chris. So uh, And Harrison, of course. Thank you again. Oh. Uh, and <laughs> maybe if Harrison had a little bit less to say, uh, that wouldn't be the worst thing. But uh, um, uh, we'll see. But anyway, uh, thank you again. It was a great conversation. And uh, I suppose we'll talk again next time. Yeah, thank you. And um, yeah, peace out to all those Lewis fans. <laughs>